You can be seated. So great to see all of you and to be with you and a handful, at least more than a handful of you that I don't know your names. I see new faces. I just want to issue a word of welcome and say thank you. Um, If you are looking for a seat, we have an entire front row down here. Um, that is available, and uh, I can count you in the back, and I can make sure that there's actually plenty of seats just right here for you um, as everyone turns to look. I love that. But no, uh, so glad that you're here. My name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it is a joy. I'm going to start with one of our announcements just because I see so many new faces, and I don't want you to forget this or miss it, Um, but uh, this coming Sunday at 5 o'clock, we will gather for what we call Community Night, the fourth Sunday of every month at City Church. Um, uh, uh, we get together, and it's a time for us to just sort of hang out together, have a good time, fellowship, um, and enjoy community together. And so um, as you look around, and you may be somebody um, that you're like, hey, I'd like to get to know some people in this church. Um, so next Sunday evening at 5 is a great opportunity for you to do that. Uh, come hang out. We are going to follow with March and just continue the madness that was yesterday and have a little fun with basketball and that theme. So we'll have some basketball hoops outside for the kiddos, and uh, it's just a really good time. Uh, So come and enjoy some fellowship next Sunday evening at 5 at Community Night. That's also a a great place, um, City Church family, for you to invite neighbors and friends to come and uh, join you and uh, hanging out and have some snacks and just uh, Christian fellowship is just a really fun thing that we get to do uh, the fourth Sunday of every month. Well, we are continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6 as Adam read for us and um, continuing to look at Jesus' teaching and this focus that we have been in over the last chapter, all of chapter 6, where Jesus um, is sort of framing all of his teaching under the heading of verse 1, where he says that we should not live, beware of practicing your righteousness for, uh, before other people, that we should not live for the gain or the praise of man, for people in this life, but keep our attention and our focus on the kingdom of God. All that he described and called us into as we opened up, as he opened up in Matthew chapter 5, working through the Beatitudes and all as he described what the kingdom looks like. A great martyr of our Christian faith, missionary to people in Ecuador, was quoted as saying through his journal at one point on January 29th, of 1949, excuse me, October 29th of 1949, he wrote in his journal just a daily account of what he was doing as he was called to take the gospel to a people who did not know Christ, had never heard the name of Christ mentioned. And he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott, who wrote that in his journal, would later die taking the gospel to those people. The very people that he was called by God to go and bring the gospel to would ultimately kill him. He lost what he could not keep, his life, so that they might gain which they would never lose, eternity in Christ. And here's the beautiful end of that story is the very people who killed him later did come to faith in Christ. And Jim is worshiping in Jesus with his murderers today. And it is an amazing thing that the gospel does. But that is what the kingdom of God is. It's a paradox. It's something that our world cannot comprehend. 
And as Jesus is giving us this instruction in Matthew chapter 6 to live our lives before God, living for God, for his kingdom, and placing his kingdom above all else, he comes now to a place in the text where he is going to get to the heart of the matter and get straight to our hearts. Now, if you read this text and I look out in the room and I see so many guests and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I stumbled into one of those churches that loves to just talk about money all the time. Let me just assure you, we were in Matthew chapter 6 last week, just the verses that preceded this, and we'll pick up in verse 22 next week. So we just land wherever we land. It's only the Holy Spirit that brought you here to hear about money. (laughs) Jesus gives this warning in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Isn't it interesting, though, as we hear Jesus as he's coming and he's under this frame heading of living your life in the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God, fully aware that God sees you and cares about your life and is involved and wants to know you and all of those things, that as Jesus gets to the heart of money and he gives this warning, and we're going to unpack these words a little bit more deeply, that even in that, that we might have some tension there, that we might think to ourselves, and it's a running joke in church life, that we would, you know, sort of laugh or, or, or think lightly of like, wow, he's going to talk about money. And we sort of just tense up. You just have this natural reaction, this tension in your heart to money and what happens. Why is that? The reason is, is that it gets to our hearts. It comes right into what we so often can value most. Think of it in this way, friends. If you have a friend or a family member or someone in your, just anyone in your life, and you see them um, struggling with something, having a challenge in a certain area, as Christians, we know that it's our calling and responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to go to that person in love and potentially just sort of elevate, sort of just make them aware of something. Say, hey, in, you know, I love you, and I'm concerned for you, and then out of my concern for you, I, I, I'm, I fear you're, you're headed down a path that's not wise or not good. As parents, of course, we do that as we're discipling our children. We put these boundaries in place and cautions and say, don't go there. You know, this is going to lead to your harm and all those sorts of things. We do that. And, and what happens so often, especially with adults, this happens to us, I think, more than with children, but it can happen even with our kids. We get close to that thing, and we say, hey, it's, you know, at 10 o'clock, very graciously, 10 o'clock, you need to turn in your phone. And it needs to stay on the island in the kitchen and not in your bedroom. What do you think I'm going to do? I mean, what's, why do you need to do that? Why is that a problem? What happened? Attack. Or you go to your brother. Any time we get close to something that we hold very dear and we think that no one has the right to sort of encroach upon it or speak into it or touch it, we're going to go on the attack very often, right? And I think that's one of the reasons that we so often just react this way when we hear, again, the idea of a pastor preaching on money or come to the text that Jesus is teaching us about money. We have this natural tension. We sort of tense up and we're like, I'm not sure I want to hear this because more than likely, I can tell you this is my own heart, It's going to get close to my heart, and it might reveal that I haven't been as obedient or as faithful as God would have me be, and so we need to recognize that that reaction that we might have is usually because God is getting close to something. 
His word is sharper than any double-edged sword, it says. And it will pierce through and reach whatever thing God needs to carve out of our lives in order that we might reflect His glory and live more faithfully in His kingdom. His word will do that. And so as we sometimes might have tension about this, we should look at our hearts and say, is there potentially something here? Am I holding on to something too tightly? Well, Jesus is giving us instruction here about money. Now, here's the thing that Jesus is not doing as he addresses this. He is not saying that money is evil. He is not calling wealth or the possessions or anything in this world as evil. In essence, what Jesus is doing here is he gives us these two instructions primarily and contrasting two views of wealth and how we deal with money. He is essentially acting and serving as a financial advisor, Put your money into things that ultimately matter is what Jesus is saying. As you live your life before God, as citizens of his kingdom, make sure that you use and steward your wealth, your resources, with wisdom. Jesus warns the disciples that are gathered to hear him. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Don't hoard your money. Try to think of building up wealth here on earth. Because why? Because moth and rust will destroy it, or thieves will break in and steal it. Whatever you have here in this life, whatever you have here on earth, Jesus says you will not keep it. He uses the picture of moth and, and, the, and, the, the, and rust because the accumulation of wealth in Jesus' day was primarily viewed in two ways. Accumulation of fine clothing and precious metals. The wealthy would walk around dressed in very fine clothing, and it would be the evidence of their wealth would be through their clothing and all of the jewelry that they wore. As people, as they walked through town, they would be able to be very evident that they would see that, that those people, they have wealth, they have power, they have prestige. And so Jesus says, don't invest, don't put your life and pour your resources into the accumulation of these things that ultimately moths will eat and will turn to dust through as rust decays these things. The 401ks of Jesus' day were made up of linen and gold, and they would ultimately fade away. The wealthy had them, and they would store them up. They would try and build them up. But Jesus, as he lovingly and graciously, because he cares for us and is for our good, he warns us against living a life that is ultimately for those things. This isn't a warning or a call to not be wealthy. This is not anti-wealth. That's not Jesus' purpose here. It's what we would do, how we would steward our wealth, and we would not allow wealth or the possessions of that wealth to become God to us. As he says, do not store up treasure here on earth. Jesus is not against savings accounts. That's not what he's speaking about. He's not against wise financial planning. But what he's ultimately against is he's against worshiping ourselves through money. And if we think about how we use our resources, whatever we might have, and in this county, there is no one in this county that is impoverished like even the disciples that Jesus would have been speaking to here. 
We have various degrees. I can't know everybody's status or situation when it comes to finances. But what I do know is, is that we have some means of wealth. And it's not against savings or doing, stewarding those resources wisely or any of those things. That's, Jesus would, would, would endorse all of that. But ultimately, what we try and do too often with our resources, with the money God has entrusted to us, is we ultimately use it to bring worship to ourselves. Again, the wealthy would walk around with fine clothing and jewelry on so that they would be known as that, as wealthy, as powerful. And so often in life, if you think about all the things that we do with our wealth, what is it used for? So that we might display to other people how much, what we have, the power that we have, all of those things. See, this is against what Jesus is speaking against here is worshiping ourselves through money and against greed and hoarding, trying to get more and more and more of it so that we might accumulate, again, those things. Tim Keller says this when he defines an idol. What is an idol? It is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything you seek... To give you what only God can give. Now, not all of us worship money in that way as an idol looking for it to give us something that God can give us. But there is something that is in that place. Most often there is a blank that we fill in. And it, while it might not be money, it very often where money comes in is we use it in order to try and accumulate whatever that thing is that we do worship or look to provide something for us that only God can give. It affects us. It changes us. See, Jesus' words when he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He is giving us this word out of love, friends. This isn't a, a, don't feel this as some oppressive word to you. This isn't Jesus trying to hold you back, not letting you sort of live and do all the things that you would want to do. No, he is excuse me, sharing these words out of love because he knows what it can do to us. He knows how it can affect our hearts. Jesus, again, if you look at all of his examples of the Pharisees, what did he penetrate right to the heart of the matter with? He understands our temptation. He knows how frequently and how often we will be led astray by the things of this world. And because he does know that, because he's so keenly aware of our hearts, he warns us, don't worship, don't find yourself trying to accumulate all of these things because they will ultimately let you down. They will not last. Moths will eat and destroy. Rust will decay. Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> Are y'all laughing at me because I reference Frodo? Yes. <sighs> if you're a guest here, I just want you to recognize what I endure. <laughs> but he begins the story. If you don't know it, you should go and read it. I know you've all seen the movies and all that, but go read it. But he begins the story, and Frodo is the friendliest, most generous, loving. He hops about the Shire, just having a good time, ready for his uncle's party, all of these things. And as you make your way through all three stories, as he gets possession of the ring and it's handed to him, this ring, there was a ring of power, a possession, it changes him. 
And by the end of the story, he's so consumed with this thing that he can't let it go. He turns on his closest friends. He rejects them. He won't hear their cautions or their pushback or their challenges because he's consumed by this thing. And so often, this is what happens in our own hearts. And Jesus knows our hearts better than we know them. And unchecked, he knows that we can get consumed with wealth. Either we will be consumed with keeping what we have, or we will think we don't have enough and we'll be consumed with the gathering of more. Jesus says, don't put your hope in that place. Don't become consumed. There's two things that happen, Jesus says, as we look at the text, to wealth here on earth, to storing up those of us as we try to store up our treasure here on earth. Two things that happen to treasures on earth. They either passively are lost through decay and destruction. It's not anything that anyone else does or that we don't do to protect it or guard against it. There's just literally, there's nothing that we can do to keep it. It will not last. It's because this is the way of the world. Jesus knows the way of the world, and as he understands the world better than any of us understand the world, he knows that whatever we try and build up and accumulate will ultimately fade away. He knows the future. Again, Jesus has his mind and his heart and is completely captivated by the kingdom of God, which he came to establish. And he's calling us into that kingdom to live as citizens of that kingdom. And as he does that, he says, as citizens of the eternal kingdom, let me tell you what you won't take with you, what won't go with you, your wealth, the treasures you build up here on earth. They will ultimately fade to nothing. Of course, most of us think of the moth and rust as this idea, and we say to ourselves, well, yeah, the moth and the rust will get it once I'm gone, but I won't care at that point. I'll just want to hold on to it while I'm here. And you might feel like you're doing something as you try and hold on to it while you're here, but what he warns against, again, is we're going to find ourselves worshiping that. If that's our attention and that's our focus, that's what we will do. Of course, then he references the thief, which is more of an active sort of thing. It's not something that just happens naturally through the natural process of the world. But yes, someone comes and steals or does something to us. It will be taken from us. And what Jesus is getting at here, ultimately what he is saying is whether it's something that just happens because of the natural progression of the world or something happens because somebody does something, you will ultimately lose your treasure. Don't put your treasure in a place that you cannot ultimately protect it. Think of it very simply. When we go out into various places, we lock our cars. Why? We're being wise. We understand that in certain situations that it's going to be pretty attractive for someone to come and break in and come and take and steal if you tell your friend, hey, I, I wouldn't, uh, don't, don't leave your car unlocked there, lock your door, whatever the case might be, you're not looked upon foolishly because you're giving that advice. You're looked at with, thank you, yes, thank you for reminding me. In the same way, Jesus is saying, don't be foolish. Stop trying to lock up things in this earth that you are not going to take with you. They will not go. They won't keep. They're going to be lost forever. See, Jesus is speaking here about treasure. And treasure that we try and store up in this world. And ultimately, every treasure that we try and build up for ourselves here in this earth has an expiration date. It will not last. Why? Why would we give our lives for something 
They will either be destroyed or taken. Why are we so tempted to live for something that cannot last? The reason is, is that we forget. We become, in our sinful hearts, consumed with this life. Others, what they think of us, the enjoyment that we have, all of those things, and we forget that God has welcomed us as citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, and we don't find our ultimate hope in His kingdom. We don't find our joy in the things of His kingdom. We find them here. And Jesus is saying, dear brother and sister, don't look for those things here. You won't find them. And although you you might find them temporarily, they won't last. It won't happen. Contrasting that, Jesus in verse 20, he says, but do this. Don't lay up treasures here on earth. Don't try and build and accumulate wealth for yourself just for the purpose of having wealth so that you might worship yourself and all of those things. But do this, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, there is a place and there is a way. Again, Jesus not speaking against wealth, not saying anything about that in this text. But there is a way for us to lay up treasures, for us to store up our treasures, to do things for the kingdom and to live in such a way that we live for the kingdom. You want to know how I know that Jesus isn't against wealth besides just taking him at his word? Think about what he calls us to do. He calls us to give and to be generous and all of these things. And you want to know who can be generous? People that have wealth, people that have resources. They can be then generous with those things. And again, no matter what playing field, what level you might think of yourself on today, you have the capacity, we have the capacity to give generously. Jesus is the one, God is the one who has entrusted us with everything that we have. He's given it to us. Again, if wealth was the evil, if Jesus was here speaking against that, he wouldn't have never given it to us in the first place. But no, he does give it to us, and he calls us here to store up treasures in heaven, to lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. He paints this picture that there is a place where you can invest your resources, invest in the kingdom, and in a way that it will last, it will not be destroyed by moths. The earthly decay will not touch it. The thief that comes in to steal it cannot touch it. What does that mean? What does he mean when he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? What he is saying is is that we invest in two things. We invest in kingdom causes and kingdom people. That's where we lay up treasures. That's where we pour our resources. That's what we live for. You want to know again, how do we know this? Because Jesus gave us a few commandments, a few directives when he was here on earth. He asked, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is this, is that you would love your neighbors as yourself. So God clearly, Jesus clearly wants us to love God and love others. And as he says, as he now put this together with this calling to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven and to invest in kingdom purposes, we're to use our resources for the advancement of the kingdom, pour our wealth into these things. 
He also says, at the very end, before he ascends into heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. To go and to send, to be on mission, to live again for his kingdom. Remember, not to live for the praise of man. Not to gain everything in this life, but to live as He lived, laying down our lives for others and living for His kingdom alone. This is what He calls us to. This is the wisdom. As a good friend, as a brother, He shares, don't toil away throwing your money away on a pl- in a place that it will ultimately be completely destroyed. That it will be lost forever. No Give yourself to kingdom causes. Kingdom causes like the local church. Ephesians 3.10 says that the manifold wisdom of God, the local church is the manifold wisdom of God. Why do we give to the church? It's so that we can display, we can do the work of ministry in the local church and we can display to a world that is decaying and is broken and is dying we can display God's wisdom how we are to live we can be an outpost for the kingdom of God whether in your homes in your neighborhood in this place wherever you might go this is what it means to invest in kingdom causes we talk so often in this church about being for the city. Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And as you seek, pray to the Lord on its behalf, you will find your welfare. Seeking the care and the concern of other people and pouring your resources, your resources into the kingdom in that way, that will last. That will not fade away. The ministry of the gospel to go out and support missionaries and those people like Jim Elliott and those many millions that have followed after him who have gone into the world to take the word of Christ, the gospel to the world, all of those things. We support that. We pour our resources into that. And when we do that, Jesus is promising us that we are investing in something that will last forever. Why? Because we're investing in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he established, the kingdom that he invited us to and welcomed us to through his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection, and the kingdom that will last forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That is what we invest in. We also invest in people, kingdom people, caring for others. All of the things that we do individually to care and meet the needs of our neighbors. I'm always cautious about sharing these kinds of stories because I don't ever want to stop the phone calls or the requests from coming in. But I can tell you sometimes, and we've joked about this or laughed a little bit about this before, but so often as pastors, we'll receive a call here at the church and they'll say, hey, I heard of this. Can we do something about it? And our answer is always, yes, go and be well. Do it. You can do something about it. You are the church. It's not just us. It's not just the pastoral staff. It's not always a we. It might just be me. I am called to do this. We have these beautiful new signs. I hope you notice them on the exteriors, above the exterior of every door, over each of our doors that Nicole Halbert put in place for us. They say the church gathered. Because it's a reminder as you come inside these doors, all we are doing here is the church is gathering. We are the church. 
We are called to live for God's kingdom as we go out into the world. So we gather in this place so that then we can scatter out in the world and we can pour our resources into building his kingdom wherever God might lead you. God is going to take each and every one of us to different places, into different relationships, into different situations. He's going to call us differently into various things, roles, capacities, all of those sorts of things. And as we go out into the world and live that, he's calling us. What Jesus is saying is invest in the kingdom. Pour your resources into the kingdom as you love and care for people, as you care for your neighbor. This is what the financial wisdom of God is. Don't spend your money, don't pour your money into things that are temporary, into places that will ultimately fade to dust. But pour your money and use your resources, whatever God has blessed you with, steward it. Steward it well. Be wise with it. Make as much as you can make without sacrificing all of the other principles of godly living so that you can then pour it into the kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. In verse 21... He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here is where we get the why. See, Jesus has given us this instruction about how we should look at our wealth, how we should steward our wealth, not pouring it into worthless things that will ultimately fade away, but pouring it into the eternal kingdom of God. And we see that word for in verse 21. If you ever in your Bibles see the word for, whatever preceded that is sort of a lead-in. We're to look back. When we see the word for... It's do this so that, why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if we've spent any time or you've heard that text quoted before, the emphasis is very often on the treasure. Again, we sort of take the preceding text and we're thinking, okay, where my treasure is, and then we, our, our attention goes to treasure, But I want you to circle two different words in that sentence. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want Jesus wants for our hearts? He wants our hearts to be constantly and permanently sitting in the kingdom of God. In the eternal, everlasting kingdom. And here's what I can promise you. Wherever you put your treasure, wherever you put your greatest hope, that is where your thoughts and your heart will reside. And that is why when something comes close to taking those things away from you, you get violent. You get angry. You don't like it. Because that's where your heart is. It's not that the treasure is in the wrong place. It is. But that's not what makes you the most angry. It's that you're getting, somebody's getting close to your heart. And Jesus wisely understands and knows that if we would put our hearts, or put, excuse me, put our treasure in the kingdom, our hearts will follow. Wherever you put your money, your heart will follow that. I don't know if you've noticed this. I didn't put any money on this situation, but I've been following the March Madness, and I have a bracket. It's destroyed. (laughs) But do you know what happened? I watched Ohio play whoever they played. I don't even remember. A 13 seed beat whatever number that 4 seed was that they beat. Thank you. 
HR basketball, you can find him. No. Uh, <laughs> wherever I put my attention and my focus, I filled out a bracket, and now I care about Ohio basketball. I don't even, is it University of Ohio? It's not Ohio State. I don't, I don't even know where it is. What, I have no understanding of that school, but because I put their little name on a piece of paper and circled it as, I think they're going to win. My, I am, you would think that I was cheering for Baylor or Texas Tech. That's what it was like. Because wherever my treasure is wherever I put something, now my heart follows that. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves, friends. And when we put our money into the kingdom of God and we put our attention on giving and pouring our resources into the kingdom of God and all of the things that that possesses, caring for kingdom causes and caring for kingdom people, our hearts will follow. And as we sang, when suffering comes... We need to have our hearts and minds deeply, securely anchored to the eternal kingdom of God because it's the only way we'll make it through this life. And Jesus wisely says, give your wealth, pour your resources into that kingdom and watch where your heart goes. You will live there. You will find your joy there. You will find your hope in that place because your heart will follow. That is what... He wants us to do, and that's what He wants for us. See, Jesus came, He lived, He died, He rose on the third day as we'll celebrate in just a few weeks to secure our hearts to that future location, that eternal place. And isn't it amazing, amazingly good news to think that people who would so quickly turn our hearts away from that place that he died for, not give any of our resources to that place, pull and hoard and think that we need to just be, try to use our money to keep up with the Joneses or build more so we can do something that we want for ourselves, that we would be welcomed into that kingdom? It's amazing for me to think of that. But Jesus, he wants, me to, he wants to keep my heart focused there. And when we keep our hearts focused on eternity, this place becomes much less. I'll paint the picture for you this way. When I'm about to go on a vacation, whether it's a day or a week, however long it is, and if it's out there, and it can sometimes be out in the future calendar, you know, about a month or two months away, but as soon as I start to get close to it, it could be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I could be sitting over here writing a sermon, and I'm just in the stream. <laughs> Phone calls, doesn't matter. I'm in, I'm, I'm in a good place. I got a river coming for me. I got fish in front of me. I got mountains to my left. I'm just floating along, just dreaming of that day that's just a few weeks out. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in that beautiful place. And all of the busyness and the frustrations of the day sort of fade away. Jesus, put your treasure in the kingdom. Anchor yourself to that kingdom so that you live every single day of your life less consumed with this world, less consumed with the accomplishments of this world, less consumed with the praise of man and all that this world might have to say about you, and put your heart securely in the place where it ultimately belongs and where it will one day go, and live with the hope and the joy and the sustaining power of that reality. 
You can live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Today, we do not have to wait until we die and we're taken up with Christ then. We can live in that kingdom now. And the way that we do that, the way we begin to touch that kingdom is as we pour our lives into it. And we do that through our resources, the way we steward our money. So, stop spending just to keep up. Stop hoarding to protect yourself and start using your money for kingdom causes and to bless kingdom people. Start living a life of true faith, even with your money. Trust that God, who cares for your soul, will care for you and believe that you are in the kingdom and be a part of it as you open up your hands and you live like this, open-handed before God. I close with this quote from John Piper. It says, God gives his people money so that we can use money in a way to show that money is not our God. God gives his people money so that we can use money in a way to show that money is not our God. That's how Christian people are to live. We're to be the most generous people on the planet. There isn't a need that exists in the world that could not be met by the people of God if we would just faithfully follow Jesus' instruction to not pour our resources into things that will fade away and fail us, but to pour our resources, all of our resources, into the eternal kingdom of God. And as we work, and as we save, and as we do all that we do, it's all with that heart in mind so that we might be able to be more faithful in that, putting our treasure in eternity and allowing our hearts to follow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. I thank you that you have called us and welcomed us in as citizens of your kingdom. You laid down your life, died, even death on a cross. to atone for my sinful heart. What an amazing gift you gave. You didn't do it because I was worthy. You did it because you loved me. Because you're in the business of building your kingdom one soul at a time. So I thank you that you have invited us as brothers and sisters, as your church, to live as citizens in that kingdom for your purposes. I pray that you'd help us, help us to be faithful to that calling. Where there are questions and doubt and concerns, I just pray you'd give clarity this morning, Holy Spirit. Would you give us wisdom? Would, as these dear saints look to you and say, Lord, I, I want to follow you, I want to be obedient, would you just surround them with wisdom from you? Brothers and sisters who might be able to help them Help us to anchor our hearts to your kingdom alone, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your mighty name, amen.
Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.